Welcome back to the Rebuildable Podcast. I'm Matt Gentile alongside Drew Stevens. Drew, how about that? Our prediction of a two-in-one stretch. It was the exact opposite. One and two with losses to the Washington Wizards, Oklahoma City Thunder, and of course, a win against the Warriors. Go figure. Yeah, I um, I probably should have already been in this state of mind already, but I'm done with, you know, thinking this team is on the way to rounding the corner. I'm just gonna wait for it now. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna predict any more rounding of the corners or them riding the ship and and coming out and bringing the same energy against the the you know the bottom feeders of the league as they do against the the top feeders. Um, yeah, I'm just. I'm just done with that. I'm just, you know, just watch these games and hope for the best, I guess. They broke Drew. That, <laughs> that's hard to do. Drew is positive and they somehow broke Drew. This, this is the most that I think you can break Drew. So I, I would just say I'm just, I'm, I'm still optimistic, but I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm protecting my own feelings, I guess. Yeah. I'm protecting myself, you know, the, the heartache and pain. Well, you know, I don't blame you. Like, we were talking about it even in the last episode about the Warriors game. I think when we were talking about that, they hadn't beat the Warriors since 2017 with the three alphas roster. And, you know, you just were like, well, watch the Bulls win that game. Like, we kept saying that. Like, I said, I, I want to get cute and say 3-0 and because they're catching a break with the Wizards. You're getting Oklahoma City at home possible revenge game for the one that happened on the road. I don't know. Maybe you ride that swing, but this is just not who the bulls are. They, they don't, it's two steps forward, like three steps back. That's how this season's been. And again, a three game stretch kind of just embodies the whole season so far. Very toxic, very toxic. A lot of gaslighting going on this year. And, you know, although they didn't have DeMar for, um, any of those three games, but in particular, those two games against the Wizards and Thunder, those are still games you expect the Bulls to be able to pull out, especially against the Wizards, who were without Porzingis and um, Daniel Gafford, without Bradley Beal. Like, that's a game I feel like you have to get. Um, the Thunder, we know they have trouble with kind of young athletic teams, but again, you've got Zach out there. You've got Nikola Vucevic. Um, you got to find a way, man. You do. You absolutely do. And you had a tweet yesterday that I wanted to, to talk with you about because I think this is what the Bulls have us doing. They have us really overly dissecting portions of the schedule. Okay. So right now where the Bulls sit, they're in that that play-in range. Okay. They're at they're the tenth seed if everything stopped today. All right. Now, Drew, you made a good point. You you looked at six the next six games. This is your, your tweet from yesterday with Detroit coming up in that game in Paris on Thursday. And then next week, Atlanta at Indiana at Charlotte at Orlando home against the Clippers. Ideally, you look at that stretch and say, you should given the team you have, you should be able to easily win four out of the next six. And yet they have me thinking they're probably going to win two out of the next six (laughs) in that stretch because of the way things have gone. And it probably will be toying with our emotions, losing in France, flying (laughs) back, having that long layoff, probably come home, beat Atlanta, drop it to the, to the Pacers, beat the Hornets, lose to 
Orlando, and then drop one at home against the Clippers. That kind of seems apt right now for the Bulls. Or lose to Charlotte, lose to the Magic, come home, and beat the Clippers. And just, again, fuck with our emotions like they've done all year. Yeah, and I mean, who could, who in Bulls Nation could blame you uh, for believing that these next six games are going to go that way? And I'm thinking we'll, we'll get to our predictions for um, whatever it ends up being the next three or four games or whatever. But one thing I'm really interested in seeing Thursday, again, we know that they have certain obligations while they're in France, but you essentially have three days to prepare for the Pistons. If they don't come out, with a certain amount of focus right off the bat, I'm I'm going to be disappointed. I mean, I know I just had that negative rant, but the way that the Pistons are set up right now, they're a little shorthanded. You've had plenty of time to prepare. You should be able to come out and beat them this Thursday. But I'm sure it'll be something related to, oh, you know, jet lag. Oh, you know, playing in a unfamiliar type arena i don't know it's whatever i'm (laughs) i'm just now programmed to expect the worst but um but you're right like you ideally should come out and win that game um it's interesting within that stretch though of games one of my takeaways in, in the last three is you saw just how this team looks without um demar derozan and there's some things that are encouraging. I know you kind of mentioned this on Twitter, and I want you to speak more about it is just with Nikola Vucevic, where you kind of see how things could work with Vooch getting some more touches. Yeah, I think in this this three-game stretch, I think his touches per game went up by close to 20, I want to say, which makes sense because he, you know, we've talked about this, other other people within the Bulls community of content creators and podcasters writers have talked about this but he is you know the best passer the highest iq um decision maker with the ball and he makes them pretty quickly he's not somebody that's holding on to the ball forever in a day trying to figure out what to do with it he gets it and for the most part um makes quick decisions but we just saw him had a uh, tie his career high with 43 points against the warriors um kind of split his field goals between the paint and the perimeter which i think is a, is a good sign, but I just wonder if come Thursday we see this team kind of go back to to what it was, um, and in some ways that makes sense because you got Demar who needs the ball, who is a dynamic scorer of the ball. Um, in some ways, an offense unto himself, but it just and I'm I'm not one to point blame at at Billy Donovan very often, if at all, but the fact that Zach Levine and and DeMar DeRozan and Nikola Vucevic, the fact that he hasn't or the team hasn't been able to get more out of such a dynamic trio of players who have a lot to offer on that side of the ball and um, should be able to play well off each other to a certain degree. We know that DeMar and Vooch um, get their points in, in, some of the same areas for sure. And DeMar is not somebody who can play off ball much. And that's my my concern or my worry. You know, when we hear about, when we hear Stacey King or certain people demand that Vooch get the ball uh, more, not necessarily in the post, but just in general. Yeah. Um, it's, it's 
I can imagine it being a little difficult to do that when Demar's on the floor because he's not a guy that's a catch and shoot player or somebody that's going to be very active without the ball. So that forces him to be the one that's making the plays more often. But even still, you got a, a guy who draws attention um, in DeMar DeRozan, another dynamic player in Zach Levine, who we know is an awesome catch and shoot threat, who has the capabilities of moving without the ball. And then you got Vooch, you know, a, a dynamic player in his own right on the offensive end. I just wonder what's kind of been the 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 point of contention or what's what's made that group not be able to really get off the ground the way that I'm sure the front office foresaw them being able to do when they put this team together. Yeah. You know, and I'm glad that you kind of brought up when you were talking about Vooch getting more touches, it doesn't necessarily mean like, Oh, you got to dump it down low into the post. Like it's 1995. Like it does mean you can kind of create them, have them involved in the flow of the offense. You know, I, I think what I remember a lot pre DeMar, in the uh you know latter half of the um 2021 season is Vooch kind of playing like high post and really kind of helping with keeping the offense flowing and keeping it fluid and i don't know if it's billy donovan not preaching getting the ball into Vooch like we've kind of heard him bring it up in press conferences and i'm i'm guessing that he's probably getting the message to the players but and again this is more of a guess but Look at Zach, DeMar DeRozan. Is there maybe just unintentionally in their heads some moments of hero ball? They're guilty of that from time to time. So is it just like once the lights are on, balls tipped, you start playing? Do you just not think of it? Like, do you just get in that mode? Like somebody like Zach and DeMar create so much with the ball in their hands. They sometimes just kind of lose sight of getting the ball to Vooch you know, and, and getting him the touches he needs. Cause like, and I guess that comes into, you know, what does Billy Donovan maybe do in game? If those things aren't happening, because we saw there was a game where they struggled to get any entry pass into Vooch. And it was just painful to watch because they don't even know how to do it. <laughs> you like, you saw, I think there was somebody did a, a compilation on, on YouTube of it. Like each of these players, like Kobe, Zach, Demar, and I think they Alex Caruso, they're struggling to get the ball into Vooch. It's like you could tell there's no muscle memory for it. You know, it, it, maybe it is a little bit of both, right? Like it's the fact that Demar and Zach operate so much with the ball in their hands, and that's where they feel like they, they do their best work. And so maybe they just lose sight of it over the course of a game. And maybe it's Billy Donovan not trying in the moment in those games to stop it, you know, to kind of – call a timeout and really get it into the players' heads. Like you have to identify these mismatches or you have to, you know, try to get them those touches up high. Cause you saw in that game with the Warriors, there just felt like there was a different, you know, fluidity with the offense. It felt like it was natural. Right. And it got more, you know, more guys were, were knocking down threes. And part of that is, you know, you have more openings to score from three point range. So like, does it help to kind of continue to do that? And you're right with DeMar coming back. It's hard to picture that being a consistent thing to see. Yeah. And I think that's part of the gift and the curse of being the scorers that they are um, speaking about Zach and, and DeMar. I think it, you know, it has to be somewhat easier to lean on their abilities to do that and to kind of get tunnel vision. Cause they know they can, 
you know, make tough shots. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm glad you brought that up about this, this last game in particular, about how well they were shooting the ball, because that has a lot to do with it too, I think. Um, Billy Donovan has spoken to this before. I think this team, um, just in general, kind of gets caught up in the scoreboard and that affects yeah. everything else. You know, are they hitting shots? Are they, you know, digging themselves into really deep holes? And how's that affecting them in terms of moving the ball in the half court or um, attacking the glass or rotating defensively? All those, all of those things kind of come into play. And it'll just be interesting to see how they come out against Detroit and if they're able to keep that same to- uh, same sort of fluidity within the offense and making sure that they, you know, run a bit of it through Vucevic. And like we said, it doesn't have to be in the post. Um, you know, it could be with him setting screens and, and, and giving him the ball kind of in the middle of the court, um, top of the key, whatever it may be, and, and having him kind of make some decisions uh, from there. So to kind of stick with this uh, discussion that involves DeMar DeRozan and Nikola Vucevic, we're getting pretty close to the trade deadline. In fact, we are about four weeks away. February 9th is the deadline, so it's it's getting close. Like, it'll be here before you know it. There was an interesting piece from Casey Johnson, who interviewed uh, Arturis Karnaschovas uh, in a piece for NBC Sports Chicago. And as Drew and I were talking offline about this, that didn't seem like it got into some of the in-depth questions maybe that Bulls fans have. Um, but there was a quote from Karnaschovas, and I want to pull it up here, that did talk about... Uh, what he's feeling right now with this team and just lost it. Of course, I pull it up and then lose it immediately. Um, Like I said in a previous episode, this is always the best part of these productions is you get to hear me typing and searching for stuff. Talk amongst yourselves, Bulls Nation. (laughs) Just to kind of set this up too. The the piece was focusing on the fact that Bulls are going to Paris and Karnaschovas's team if you remember it's actually uh, they feature the bulls in the last dance playing in paris that's kind of the the flashback to 98 kind of starts there um and it was brought up when arturis karnashovs got hired that hey i played for um one of the teams that's in that mcdonald's championship that played the bulls in 1997 during the preseason so kind of funny like it's kind of coming full circle so casey was trying to i think use this piece to kind of talk about something, you know, a little more nostalgic, but really this is like one of the first chances to ask AK questions about the current situation of the bulls. Um, And there was of course the quote that kind of made the rounds on Twitter today. He said, quote, I enjoy the fan base and how much they love the team and how involved they are. We deeply care about this organization. It's not fun when we lose. I'm a very competitive person. That's what you need to know. I don't take losses lightly. I get emotional just like you. We're trying to turn this around. End quote. So that made the rounds. And of course, it's got people talking because there really wasn't an answer of what that means. We're trying to turn this around. And I I wish not to knock Casey Johnson. He's one of the best beat writers that covers the Bulls. But I kind of wish there was a follow up and maybe there was and it just didn't get covered in this. Or you mentioned kind of like off the record, maybe he said, I'm not going to get too much into this. But 
we're trying to turn this around. What does that mean? Like, I would have loved to have known, okay, when you say try and turn this around, what is it that you want to do to turn around? Are you going to be active at the trade deadline? Try to get a little more into it because I, I think we're all dying to know. And we've talked about ways to, to turn it around on this podcast. So it would be it would have been nice to kind of hear what Karnaschovas is thinking. Yeah, it, it would have. And I got to, you know, we're not, I know a lot of a lot of Bulls fans, NBA fans in general are, are watching these reports come out about their teams and uh, what they may or might may or may not do with the trading deadline. Meanwhile, we haven't heard really much about the Bulls except for that they intend to hold on to these players, which maybe that's a little bit of a um, little poker play. You know, you don't want to give off the impression that you're willing to sell off some of these pieces, although we know dating back to the offseason that they have at least listened to offers for Kobe White and just haven't um, come across one they felt was worth trading him for. Um, so I, I think that, you know, a lot of that is just them playing it close to the vest, which we can attest to them being that being their kind of their style of, of management um, in the time that they've been here. I mean, we've all been shocked when these moves have been made. Other than Lonzo Ball, that wasn't a shock. Like we all kind of sensed that coming. But Vooch, DeRozan, Alex Caruso, like that stunned, I would say, a majority of Bulls fans when those moves happened. Um, and then, of course, they stunned us when they said, hey, we're going to maintain a level of continuity, and they did. Um, so I guess they kind of shocked us there because we were expecting the unexpected. But, you know, you, you're right. This could be maybe it's it's more of a holding it close to the vest with with some of the media that's reporting that the Bulls are going to stand pat for the most part, aside from, you know, maybe still continuing to field offers for Kobe White. But just given what we're seeing, and it kind of relates to another piece that I know came out today and, and one that I know you want to speak to is this Bobby Marks piece, because he get he got into some predictions and, and looked at also some forecasting with extensions and trades. And two of the extensions he mentioned in his piece were Nikola Vucevic and DeMar DeRozan. Now, if we're listening to these reports that are coming out about the Bulls and maybe them staying somewhat status quo at the trade deadline, maybe making marginal moves, you wouldn't think, you know, major moves coming. So do you look to possible extensions? I mean, I find that hard to believe, but if you can, can you kind of explain to the, the listeners what the Marks piece broke down in terms of uh, Vucevic and DeRozan being extension candidates, what that would look like? Sure. So Bobby Marks was, you know, letting everybody know that Vucevic is eligible to, he will be eligible to sign a four-year, $118 million extension before June 30th. Um, Bobby Marks said that that deal you know, if it's offered and if it's signed, would likely push the Bulls into the luxury tax, which, you know, for all intents and purposes, we can kind of assume that's not a place where the Reinsdorfs want to be. So kind of take that for what it is. Um, if Vucevic and the Bulls are not able to come to an agreement and he ends up um, leaving for nothing, the Bulls will have a $11.4 million mid-level exception to be able to use, um, you know, at their leisure. <laughs> Hopefully they use it. That right. Would be great. <laughs> um, and then he also brought up DeMar DeRozan, and we all know that he has one year left on his deal for next season. Um, but he also will be eligible for a four-year, $153 million extension 
um, this offseason. So, you know, two of the, the big three here in Chicago, um, I think, you know, we've talked on this po- this this podcast recently about kind of what direction we think this this team may need to to look to start heading in. Um, and I still think, you know, even though they've they've kind of righted the ship from last season in terms of competing and beating some of the best teams in the Eastern Conference, and now this win against the Warriors, I, I hope that they are listening to any offers that may have come across um, their table in terms of DeMar DeRozan. Because I still yeah. think that even though he's the – He's the older player. Um, I think he could have a lot of value um, to certain teams. I'm not sure how many or which ones, but just at this point in time where the organization is and and where they're trying to get to, you know, is it better to part ways with him now and get something in return um, if he's – you know, by all accounts, going to be looking for that extension in this offseason. because that's 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 a lot of money there, and he and he's earned it. Like I, I do Ooh. think, just given his play, like last year and even a little bit this year, like you know, he was all NBA last year. Could be close to that, if not, maybe even gets it if he you know has a big second half too. Like I, I think it's well worth it um, for him to go get that money if if he if he doesn't get it in Chicago, get it elsewhere. Um, I think as is, I would not be ready to to give an extension if we're just keeping running this back. Like, there's no way you can do that. Now, what's kind of interesting, you and I brought up the DeRozan thing. You just said, like, that seems to be the logical piece you use for recouping something of value. And I think it might be, if I were in AK and Mark Eversley's shoes, I think that would be the one I'd pull the trigger on. I know some people in Bulls Nation might hate this, but, you know, if you look at what you've seen where these games were, where Vucevic is getting his touches and scoring the bulls tend to win games. Like, and I would look at the remainder of the season being a trial balloon for Vooch. If you deal DeRozan, get back a, a valuable player in return. Like we brought up the wizards trade proposal, even like that Phoenix suns one or whatever it is. If you decide that Levine and Vucevic are your two kind of pieces this season, not saying like those are your two guys, the core you build around forever. No, but you have those as your, your two pieces for this season. And you kind of look to next year to be your reset. I think you see how does Vooch perform with Zach, with the rest of this roster? Can you make a play in push or maybe, you know, sneak into the, sixth spot in the Eastern conference, because, you know, it just all gels a little bit better. The offense is a little more fluid. Vooch is getting his touches. That kind of helps, you know, uh, maybe keep things a little more, a uh, little less stagnant, especially in an offense that's missing Lonzo ball. Um, And, and you kind of use that as a test and see, all right, well, should we bring Vooch back and extend him, keep him with Zach and then try to pursue that next piece or, doesn't work you still have that mid-level exception that comes with Vooch departing so to me that's the route I take because you can at least see does Vooch actually fit because we talked about 2021 that season when Vooch came at the trade deadline 
it was interesting to kind of see those two together. It did take some time, but I think as the season went on, and it's unfortunate that, you know, Zach mistimed, I think, with COVID as the season wound down, you know, we started to see things start to click. I think it was the rest of the roster just wasn't in place yet. Yeah, I, um, I'm i definitely the mindset set that uh, it's, it may be time to go ahead and break this up to a, a certain degree. Um, because even at it, even at its not at, not at its best, but at, you know the way last season ended with them in the sixth spot, um, the difficulty they've had just to stay in the play-in picture this season, I think you know this this is mediocrity. This is this isn't what um, AK wanted or you know saw for this team when he as he's been building it and, and putting it together. Um, you know, Bobby Marks also mentioned in that article, uh, you know, a, a proposed deal between the the Bulls and the Suns, where the Bulls ship Kobe White to Phoenix for Cameron Payne and two second round picks, one in 2023 this year and one in 2025. But if I'm doing again, if I'm doing a deal with Phoenix, I'm looking at what we talked about with Rob Schaefer's piece. Um, what was that a week or two ago where mm-hmm. you know you're you're kind of filling out the suns in terms of hey for Vucevic and DeRozan can we get Aiden and, and Crowder or you know replace Crowder with somebody else you know and I don't it's I don't think it'll be a perfect fit for DeRozan over in in Phoenix um but I think I do think he can help with the scoring over there especially with the injuries that Chris Paul seems to be hit with seasons and into the playoffs. Um, and again, I, I, you spoke to the, to if they trade the Rosen, can they still kind of make a push for the sixth spot? I don't know if that would be possible. Like if, if they make a deal, I'm expecting them to take a step back to hopefully take a step forward next season. Um, mm-hmm. You know, any idea of them making a push for a non playing spot, um, kind of goes out of my head if they're to deal one of the one of the big three and i think in that in that case too like being in the plane is a little more palatable when you're doing that kind of soft reset and you know at that point your expectation level changes too because you know you've parted with a, a major score in demar Derozan, and now it turns into more of a trial period and you know if, if a trial period includes a plane that's fine you know this happens in the nba i think you can do soft resets and reconfigure your roster. I'd rather have them take that route than just try to drag this on for for no reason. Um, you, you mentioned Phoenix, too. You want to talk about a team in a freaking free fall. Like, you know, the last time the Bulls played them out West, they were one of the top teams in the Western Conference. They have lost three straight. Their last 10, they are one and nine. They are now under 500 at 21, 24. 12th seed in the Western Conference. They're not even the play-in right now in the Western Conference. The Thunder have overtaken the Phoenix Suns. My my jaw is on the floor. Like I knew they had dropped, but I did not know that they have plummeted that far. And I'm I believe it's coincided with Devin Booker's injury and yeah. Well, wow. And and that look, that's a big part of it. But I think a lot of people thought that they could at least stay steady. And no, not at all. Um, you yeah. see what his absence has done. 
you know, you mentioned getting back Cameron Payne. It's funny because there's times and I'm guilty of it. I think of Cameron Payne, Chicago Bulls, the tank commander, but it's a different Cameron Payne. So like for Bulls fans, maybe like me occasionally, this Cameron Payne, since he's been in Phoenix and been under the tutelage of Chris Paul, has been very productive. And, you know, he had, I think, almost career highs across the board, except in scoring. Like, and that's by like a tenth of a point difference of his career best. But he had a really sound year last year, you know, backing up Chris Paul. And, you know, he he might be able to fill a need of a, of a natural point guard fit for the Chicago Bulls. And I've been really happy with Kobe White. I've, I've always been a big supporter of Kobe White and probably have a rational love for Kobe White. But, you know, they clearly want to... They clearly want to move on. It seems like you kind of see, hear the smoke surrounding Kobe White, and I, I, I'd be okay keeping him along. But again, if you want to start doing some of the soft reset, like you understand why there maybe is some value. You brought up the two second round picks as well. I mean, it's it's hard. There's very low hit rates on second round picks though in the NBA. So, yeah, yeah, we talked about about that offline. Um, just how that you know they, they don't have a lot of draft capital. One thing though, because they do owe they they are gonna own Denver's second round pick um, in this upcoming draft if it falls to forty seven or later. But that pick, or whenever they whenever they they next pick in the second round, they automatically are gonna forfeit it because of the Lonzo Ball tampering um, penalty. So, you so I guess in that regard, if if they were to make a trade like this, at least you recoup one. Um, but I just ah man, it takes two to tango. You got to give up something to get something back. True, it's tough though. You, you know the other thing though, like second round picks do end up getting moved in trades a lot. So maybe you're restocking in in that regard, getting some extra picks that you can throw in for maybe a role player or some type of fringe marginal piece. So. I kind of see some value there maybe, but the camera paint thing intrigues me. And I thought I never would say that in my life, but it does adding him into the mix, especially if, if Lonzo's is going to be out, if you want to at least stay competitive while training DeMar DeRozan, like if, if that does happen, that's one way to do it. Like you do kind of maintain a level of competitiveness. Cause I don't know if I'm there with other folks about tanking we've talked about this ad nauseum like i don't think it's going to go in that full direction no matter what i think there's too much to risk if the lottery ball bounces the magic's way and then you just are left holding nothing except uh, a roster made with a little more cap space i mean there could be benefit to that but i i also do believe there's a perception issue that comes with that because i do think the rest of the league will look at you and kind of go okay well you gave up on a lot of these, you know, high caliber pieces too early. Why would I come to you? You know, there, there's still that perception issue in the NBA and the bulls have to do their best to rid themselves of that kind of perception, which is why, you know, not going into the luxury tax. I don't think helped that across the league. They eventually have to do that at some point. I agree. I can't do anything, but help the perception. They, they did a lot for themselves to, um, rebuild and kind of knock some dirt off of the Bulls name as a brand um, when they when they first came in and a little bit of a honeymoon period. Um, 
and that wouldn't hurt at all, you know, in terms of them getting the the owners to acquiesce to a to a to going into the luxury tax. But again, you know, who are they going into the luxury tax for, and how does that look moving forward? You know mm. what I mean? Yeah. Um, what's what's Lonzo Ball's health going to be moving forward? He um, in an interview in Paris, uh, I believe it was. Monday um, spoke about how he kind of has his own clock in his head about this year specifically and how he knows that that clock is is winding down pretty yeah. quick in terms of him being able to get on the court and um, and play this year. So, you know, what's his status going to be for next season? Um, how healthy can he get in the offseason? How comfortable can he get on the court by next season? And, you know, What's who's going to be here with him on the court um, as he gets back to hopefully being the same player eventually that we saw, you know, those first 35 games of his Bulls career. It's weird. I feel like my mindset right now, and I don't know how you feel. I am just thinking in the back of my head, he's not coming back this year. I would be stunned if we see Lonzo Ball step foot on the court at any point this season. And I would actually even be stunned if we see him step on the court, maybe even early next year. Like I am bracing for a long return. I like, maybe it it happens more closer to like December because it just seems like he's always behind on the actual rehab to get, just to get over that hurdle of jumping. And, you know, it's like, once he starts jumping, then, (laughs) <laughs> okay, we can start the clock, but yeah. I'm just operating under the guise that he won't be back for a while, which is why I think that's what concerns me is like, was the Bulls medical staff and Lonzo Ball's camper, where was the disconnect between where he was at, you know, even this summer for them not to think of a, a really solid backup plan? Because, you know, you could say, well, Io and Dragic and you know that was their plan. But come on, you have to know that those guys don't have that same level of cohesion and and the ability to kind of ring this core together the way Lonzo Ball did. Like, come on, you you have to know that there has to be some type of backup plan to to get you to that next step because you know they they preached the whole idea of of cohesion or or keeping. Um, you know, things sort of status quo to really keep the play at a level of, you know, that production level that they wanted to see. You need somebody like Lonzo Ball in that role. And if he's not here, then you're telling me you couldn't have a the second option ready when the summer started. I, I find that hard to believe, which makes me think there was disconnect there with his health. Yeah, I, like you, I do wonder about, you know, any other point guards that they may have looked at. Um in addition to going Dragic. Um, but Lonzo is such a specialized player in himself. I don't, I'm trying to remember who was on the market that could even come closer to kind of approximating what he does on a basketball court. And I can't really think of those names offhand, but you, you bring up a good point just in terms of, um, you know, the front office kind of covering themselves and making sure that, um, this team is as well built or as 
prepared to take on some of these injuries in, in his slow burning return um, as possible. But yeah. as we've seen, like this, there's still, still holes to be filled on this team. Still a lot of questions, questions to be answered moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And it kind of even comes down to like levels of creativity when, you know, you, you might know like, okay, the free agent market's not there for me. So I might have turned to the trade market. Maybe should have looked and said, you know, we have a, a middle first round pick. You know, we can't can't really do any moving, right? Because of, you know, what's available to us. So like, do we have to rethink our draft strategy? You know, do we have to? And, and that's nothing against Dale and Terry. I, I hope, shit, I hope Dale and Terry becomes a piece starting next year. But, you know, did you have to maybe rethink it there? And I'd have to go back and look who, you know, who got picked where, you know, could they found creative ways to just acquire an additional draft asset? That's that's the one thing like you see other teams try to get ahead of those issues instead of playing from behind. And I do feel like in this case, the Bulls are playing from behind trying to to find that answer. So kind of put a bow on our discussion about the Bobby Marks piece, the deadline for you. Are you sensing that we're going to just get actual moves around the margins or do you think we're going to actually be surprised and a major move will happen. Because it's been so quiet, I feel like something major may happen mm-hmm. um, before the trade deadline. And ma- by major, that would be parting with one of those big three pieces. And I put that in quotes. Yeah. One, one or two of those, mm. those big three pieces with Zach kind of being, um the the odd man in if you will <laughs> yeah um yeah i just i and maybe that's just me wishful thinking that something um of substance is is going to happen um coming up here i just I, I don't know i keep wrestling it with with it too there's part of me that's like, oh, come on. They've been quiet before, like I said earlier. They've pulled one on us before, right? The Vooch trade, the acquisition of DeMar DeRozan, Alex Caruso. I don't know if there's maybe that mandate. And, and I hate to always throw it to the Reinsdorfs, but is there a mandate coming from above? Just keep us competitive enough. <laughs> and, you know, that core of Levine, Vooch, DeRozan at least brings enough people to the United Center. You know, I, I hate to go in that direction too often, but there's moments where you can't help but think that way. Did we get in this position too because that mandate came from on high to not go over the luxury tax, to not use the full mid-level exception? You know, it's funny because we were talking about that with Vooch. You make, if you let him walk, you get, what, $11.4, $11.5 million, you said, trade yeah. exception? Um. Great. Will they spend it? Will they use all of it? Like, so I don't know. I, I hate that my brain goes there, but I don't know, sometimes you can't help but default in that direction. Then there's a reason why it's going that way. And and it's, it goes back to what you've seen in your experience watching this team and, and how its owners operate. Um, Again, I know I feel like I say this every podcast, but it's just going to be fascinating to see what happens because do you risk losing Vucevic 
who is having a fantastic year, you know. I think he's mm-hmm. particularly uh, shooting the basketball. I know, you know, a lot of us, you know, were wanting him to to get back to shooting the basketball like he did when the Bulls first acquired him. He's at 38% right now. Um, yep. Basically what he was at that first half season he was with the team. Um, you know, can you afford to not get a, a deal done or to not trade him rather um, and have him walk in the summer? Same thing with Kobe White. You know, he's a restricted free agent, but can you – are you in a position where you can risk that not getting something back for these players who um, have value to the team, but, you know, is, is their value to the team right now? Does it overshadow what they possibly can bring you back um, in terms of a return moving forward to try to spin this thing forward uh, for next season? Mm-hmm. Well, and like, it's always something you have to weigh as a GM. Like if you're not planning on, on bringing this person back big picture, not planning on, on having this as part of your future core, you have to maximize value for them as much as you can. And, you know, seeing how he's performing, like he, you're right. He's finally gotten to that level of shooting that we wanted to see pre trade deadline. And now might be your time to strike with, with Vooch. Now might be your time to strike with DeRozan. I know some of our listeners might think we're a broken record, but this is going to probably continue to be a theme until we get closer to that deadline and kind of know what's that next move. Because I feel like making moves around the margins, just what are you doing at that point? Like you're going to upgrade role players and and maybe what move from 10 to nine. If you're lucky, I mean, maybe get to slightly closer to 500, probably be right at 500 when the season ends. I mean, all right, I guess that's fine. But, you know, it would be better to kind of just, I don't know, get get as much value for, for both those pieces as you can. And then, hey, come back next offseason swinging. There's no shame in that. I, I would applaud them more for having foresight to look at this with more of a long-term vision than just singularly focused on saving the season. Yeah, I think the idea of them making marginal moves would probably make more sense if this team wasn't so up and down. Right. Um, and was closer to that sixth spot or, uh, you know, just higher up in the standings, man, where you can kind of, you can kind of see the rationale between or the rationale behind um, more of the marginal moves and kind of sticking with this big three mm-hmm. <laughs> still would be, you know, some ramifications and some tough decisions to be right. had, even if they were higher in the standings, but at least if they were, it'd be probably easier for us within a Bulls community kind of stomach. Well, and the other thing too, when, when that happens, you know, if the Bulls, let's say we're in the third seed right now and you had Vooch and DeRozan and, you know, Levine, I think we'd be sitting here saying, wow, this is a really good team. And if they, you know, were getting bounced in the second round, the conversation would be a little different. We might be then saying, all right, well, they're going to have to part with one of these pieces, but who's that next big fish that they're going to go get, right? Like, I think the conversation turns to who's trade bait to make it happen. Different tenor to the conversation than this. So 
I think there'd still be though, but it, it would be kind of a similar theme. Like, okay, who's going to get moved next to make that next step happen? It's just the national natural progression in the NBA. Like, eventually, there's going to be turnover within that core on a team, especially one that maybe isn't quite full title contender, but might be a, a really good playoff contender. Eventually, you're going to have to have that conversation of, do you have enough to get to and win a championship? And then, you know, there's just sort of a different way of, of how you're looking at changing out the core than we are now. Yeah, what a what a world we live in where, you know, not quite at this time last year, a little earlier, in the in the year last year, you know, we were a lot a lot of the questions surrounding this team was should they deal Patrick Williams for something more significant at the four? And now we're I know a year later and it's like, okay, do they break this team up and um again try to kind of reset the reset the table. Life comes at you fast, man. <laughs> it does. It does. Very fast. We were talking a little bit there about ownership. And um, I actually started thinking of something today, and I, I wanted to uh, bring this to to your attention and to some of us, some of the listeners in Bulls Nation, mostly that are Chicago sports fans. You know, one thing I've learned podcasting over the years is, especially with the Bulls, there's more of a global following, right? There's an international presence. So sometimes when you talk about Chicago sports, you might lose out on some of the listeners or really understanding some of the stuff we're going to talk about. Um, but I wanted to bring this to, to the table just for some of the, the Chicago sports fans listening. So today, uh, we're recording this on, on Tuesday, the 17th. Um, the Bears hired Kevin Warren, the commissioner of the Big Ten, as their president and CEO. And for those of you that are Bears fans, you, you might understand why this is such a monumental shift with the Bears. Because for years, the Bears have sort of been a family-owned mom-and-pop operation. I think they've done a better job in recent years spending money. And it's just been, though, an issue with like organizational structure. That's kind of been the issue is their current president is uh, somebody that was really with the team as an accountant and, you know, did a lot of handling of the money and then got kind of thrusted into that role. Um, And a lot of people have looked at him as like, He's an extension of that ownership's family, the McCaskey family. Um, this is somebody that's not from the organization and somebody that if you look at his track record, Kevin Warren, you realize this guy is is a fucking rock star, in my opinion. Like, you want to talk about really entering the 21st century? Like, the Bears are finally entering modern times in a business operation. And to me, there could be a trickle-down effect to everything else because of it. Um, and I think they've made some good you know, moves. I mean, again, we're not a bears podcast, but I think they've made some interesting moves. And I, I really do think they're, everything's kind of clicking at the right time. Yeah. And it got me thinking though, Drew, like in terms of Chicago sports, have the bulls completely now. And again, it, we have the benefit of hindsight and everything kind of changes. Right. And we also have recency bias. Yeah. Are the bulls starting to kind of fall in that pecking order of, in Chicago sports just because of ownership and the way that he has kind of the, the Reinsdorf family has oversight of their teams. Are they starting to slip a little bit just in compared to other Chicago teams? It's crazy to say because the bears I think have always been looked at as like the mom and pop team of Chicago, but I don't know. I feel like the Reinsdorf owned teams are starting to 
take that mantle. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I, I feel like, you know, although Jerry Reinsdorf and his son have a particular history that a lot of fans can speak to and a lot of fans um, knew about and complained about, there was a sense that before this past offseason that things were going to be turned around, that maybe they would go into the luxury tax and spend some money um, to get this team moving uh, yeah. more in the right direction. But after this past offseason where it kind of was clear that Acme was was kind of capped on, on what they can do, um, what they could have done, I think you're right. I think it's kind of like, oh, okay, so it's kind of more the status quo um, in terms of really empowering the front office. Well, you think about it too. It even happened with the other Reinsdorf owned team, the White Sox, because the White Sox were coming off of a, a big year in 2021. And you thought, okay, now, now it's time for them to take another step up, like go, you know, get a, a, a more established right fielder, second baseman, right? even add a little more to a really good starting rotation. And then what happened? They just kind of rested on their laurels. They made fringe moves, marginal moves. They didn't capture the AL central in 2022. They didn't even make the playoffs in 2022 and everything fell apart. And it's almost like the bulls are following almost the same script of coming out of the gate with this really good season last year in 21, 22. And again, yeah, they, they fell back as the season went on with the injuries to, to Lonzo. You had Zach out for an extended period, and that did hurt things. But you make this push. You get into the playoffs after you know years of missing the playoffs, years of having a really long, drawn-out rebuild. And you follow it up with an offseason with, again, fringe moves. They mirror each other. Those two organizations are the ones that I kind of question the most. Like, and We can say this. like In Chicago sports right now, Say what you want about the Cubs. And some of the listeners on this podcast might not be Cubs fans and they might cringe at the Ricketts family. And believe me, the Ricketts family, there's a lot of things that drive me nuts about them. Okay. <laughs> we can we can have a full debate about other things, even politically, if you want. But the Ricketts family did redo the organizational structure of the Cubs, right? They had a business operation, a baseball operation. They went out, they bring in Theo Epstein, and he changes everything in terms of the structure the farm system all that and what happened with them they ended up you know becoming a perennial playoff team getting to what three straight nlcs's and winning a world series and you can't dismiss them for that now did they make some mistakes with spending sure but it looks like you know this one and a half year ish rebuild could be paying off this offseason and they might be trending back upward so you know, you got to give them credit and say that they're probably one of the best run teams in Chicago. And then again, with the Bears, I mean, this is a big home run hire. And again, with recency bias, you got to think they're on the upswing yeah. with the way that team's run. And then that kind of puts, you know, the, the Bulls and Sox at the bottom. I don't even know if we want to talk about the Blackhawks because there's ethical things wrong with them. That, yeah, we can just... Yeah. They're they're in the in the basement for different reasons. And uh, if you want, Google that. There's a whole <laughs> whole thing that happened with the Blackhawks. But, you know, they they were winning a winning franchise for a bit. But then I think a lot of things went wrong there. 
Um, but eliminating them from this, I mean, you'd have to say the Reinsdorf teams are at the bottom. And it's weird because if we were sitting here a year ago, you're right. I think we'd be having a, a different conversation about where they'd be in the pecking order of Chicago sports in terms probably, of an organization. Probably be flipped. Talk, you know, we, we talked about our predictions, our week-to-week predictions with the Bulls team. But, yeah, this, they'd probably be flipped around. Yeah. Uh, just coming off the seasons that the, the Sox and the Bulls had and how things were kind of looking up in certain certain ways. I know the Lonzo Ball injury um, was kind of a dark cloud this whole entire offseason, or really ever since it, it happened and how it's continued to drag on. But it's just with a different energy um, last season. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's – um, man, I, f- I feel even more depressed now mm-hmm. thinking about that. Mm-hmm. It's funny, Lonzo Ball. I mean, I can make a comparison and say, you know, it's it's like when you keep missing Eloy and Luis Robert and Tim Anderson and just making excuses like, oh, we just can't get healthy. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe start to invest in more depth, valuable depth. Yeah. And maybe that might help you like good baseball teams try to do. And, you know, same thing with the Bulls. So, like there's interesting correlation with those two teams. And this whole thing with the bears kind of got me thinking about that. So some things curious, if you're a Chicago sports fan, kind of how you feel about that. Cause uh, certainly got my mind moving. Um, Good reason. So I do want to, you know, do our time on our tradition of wrapping up episodes (laughs) by going through the schedule and kind of looking at the next stretch. So, and there's times where like, when we do this, it's like, why why do we even bother? (laughs) (laughs) And, and forgive me if you've kind of noticed my my voice has been a little hoarse during this episode just because uh um cursing the bulls out it's okay yeah no it's <laughs> i i've had like it's weird you know i mentioned to the listeners you know i had i had the rona and then i followed up with like this mini cold it's just been like you know cough and it's like perfect timing and then you, know, you got a wedding coming up i'm getting married on saturday like Woo! got so it's just like geez like Keep it together, man. <laughs> I'm trying to get a podcast on. That's the most important thing. I mean, come on. <laughs> All right. So as we talked about uh, in our last episode and then a little earlier in today's episode, the Bulls will face the Pistons in France on Thursday, January 19th. And then they'll come home after a few days rest and host the Hawks at home. And then they'll go to Indianapolis uh, to start a three-game road streak against the Pacers. So, rough prediction for this three-game stretch. We've been doing a lot of these three-game predictions. Our last one, we predicted two and one. They went one and two. For this stretch against the Pistons, Hawks, and Pacers, what are you feeling? My gut, for whatever reason, is still telling me two and one. I know what I started off this podcast saying about, you know, not no longer waiting for this team to round the corner, but I I just I see two and one. Two and one? Pessimist in me is saying one and two. I'm gonna say one and two. Okay. Um and I think the win comes you know what? I think it comes Thursday in France. We were kind of talking about the six game stretch and like you, you there's the voice in your head. But if you just kind of do it in this three-game sample size, I think they get this win against the Pistons and then come home and maybe lay a massive egg against the Hawks. 
because that's the game where you're like, well, they should win this. Plenty of rest. You're at home. You're facing a shaky Hawks team. I feel like that's the kind of game the Bulls would just drop a turd down their legs. And then that game against the Pacers, like the Pacers have been a quietly good team this year. You know, you look at the standings, they're eighth in the Eastern Conference, 23 and 22. And I mean, you know, Rick Carlisle has gone playing well, but they have dropped. Interestingly, they've dropped their last four. They're five and five in their last 10 games. They've dropped their last four, though, um, as of this recording. But they've been playing pretty well for the uh, collection of talent they have for being a younger team. Like Rick Carlisle has gone playing pretty well. Now, one thing to keep in mind is um, Tyrese Halliburton is out. And will that's true for at least the next two weeks. Um, mm. and a, a mild Ooh. knee bruise, so that you know should Ooh. should affect things. But you know, with this Bulls team, we cannot take anything for granted. Ew. That makes me kind of want to call an audible. Because <laughs> with Hallib, I I I did see that report. I don't know why I didn't. Okay, so hmm. do I, does the pessimist in me want to keep it to say you know what? Prove it to me that you'll get up for that game. Because look, we just saw them against the Wizards with basically Beal and Porzingis out. Lose that game. I'll stick with what I got. I'll stick with one and two. Okay. I'll stay okay. pessimistic. Prove me wrong. Prove me wrong, Bulls. <laughs> so you think this is when they actually go three and zero on us? I mean, it's the the it's for the taking. It's for the taking. I mean, obviously they've had um two down to the wire buzzer beaters with with the Hawks, so there's no telling what direction that game is going to go in. But these are winnable games, as we talked about to begin this 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 podcast. This next yeah. uh, stretch of six games appears to be winnable, even the Clippers. You know? Well, yeah, and that's the thing. Like you're right, the next six are winnable. Hell, the next seven. You know, you look at that game after the Clippers, you know, to start February, you get the Hornets again. And, and the Hornets have been really struggling. So they just toy with you like this because you look at a stretch like this and think, shit, this is when you can really get it right. Yep. You know, uh, to speak to what you were saying about four, four out of six seems realistic. I mean, you do that. Look where you're sitting then. Then you're, you're 20, what, 24 and 26. And, you know, two games under 500, but in that Eastern Conference picture probably is getting you either up the play-in standings or in a position to make a little noise. So, yeah, you would have beaten two teams in the Hawks and the Pacers that are ahead of you you in the standings. So, yeah, man. Should be doing that, but. (laughs) Man, this is just, yeah, like it, it is funny when. Because we mentioned like looking back at it at things a year ago, I I don't think I would have seen this coming a year ago. I, I I maybe would have thought like what we were saying earlier this season, anywhere from five to seven kind of range, and and maybe being around five hundred because it's a really competitive East. But you know the East has been while it's been competitive, it has been very top heavy. Yeah. So knowing that the Bulls are kind of in this this kind of shit sandwich. Um. Yeah, and right now they're the bread in this shit sandwich, or maybe 
maybe they're like a I wouldn't say a piece of meat, but maybe a piece of lettuce <laughs> in the shit sandwich. Yeah, and you know, looking at this, looking at these standings um, as of as we record here on Tuesday, January seventeenth, and the Knicks are five games above five hundred, and the Bulls are four games under five hundred. I definitely did not see that coming. You know, let the Knicks be an example of what tweaks to the roster can do, right? Because 2021, everybody was all over the Knicks. Like, man, this team is, you know, it's the Knicks are back. And then what happened last year? Fell off, right? Not even the play-in tournament. They were out of the playoff picture. Now here they are again, right? They make the Jalen Brunson signing and everything kind of turns a corner. So, let me use that as an example. Like, even if you don't like the way the Knicks are made up roster wise, that's why sometimes making tweaks and knowing when to adjust your roster is really important. Having cap space does help though, because they had that, you know, the bulls don't, I get that, but I just think it, it means you have to kind of know when you need to make those tweaks to your team. Yeah. You got to have some luck on your side, you know, staving off injuries and, um, you know, having guys perform up to their capabilities. Julius Randle is, is back to playing True. like an all-star after having a, a down season last year. So, yeah, yeah. there is some luck that uh, certainly goes into some of these decisions. But you're right. It's, it's um, you know, to, to be a, a GM or a VP of basketball operations of these teams, there's a lot you have to – kind of keep in mind and, and kind of keep in the, in the back burners of your brain as, as each day and each week passes in terms of how to keep your team competitive and um, help them improve moving forward. It's, that's, uh, you know, they get paid the big bucks to do it. True. That's why you got like the best thing you'd be as an executive is flexible yeah. because, you know, you got to be ready to kind of react to, to things that affect your team, whether that's injuries or somebody just their production goes down, you know, somebody's production goes up. That also changes things. Like you just have to be ready to make the next move. And whether that's making, you know, tweaks, making wholesale changes, you just got to be ready. And, you know, we'll see again, four weeks to the trade deadline. Uh, we'll be back next week for sure to, See what happens after this three-game stretch and this this game in Paris. It'll be interesting to see. For you, real quick, uh, Drew, what are you doing? Are you going to DVR this game or just kind of keep an eye on it while you're working? Like, not an ideal time for a basketball game. <laughs> it's not. Um, I still haven't decided if I'll try to get to work even earlier on Thursday. It's kind of different being in healthcare. Like, getting there earlier is not going to guarantee me getting out any earlier. So... I may just have to keep track on my phone as best as I can. Mm. Yeah, for you? me, for me, the so with the wedding on Saturday, um, I'm taking Friday off because that's like rehearsal and getting everything ready, and then Thursday I'm taking a half day because in not in laws yet, future in laws technically, um, but we're we're getting close, and um, you know some other people are coming in from out of town, so. So I take a half day and I didn't even realize I'm like, oh, you know what? The Bulls are on at 2.30. So I might try to catch some of the game at least. I might not be able to catch it all, but you might know, as well. yeah, catch some of it. And, and you know, definitely get a DVR so I can catch 
Uh, probably some of it on Sunday, mm-hmm. you know, post wedding, maybe, or Monday. I'm sure my fiance and then knock on wood, if everything goes well, wife, um, you know, might say like, this is how you want to enjoy our first time as a married couple <laughs> watching a DVR Bulls game from Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you are a, uh, a member of the Bulls content creating community. So she knows this. That's true. That's you know, true. She, she does. She, she knows who she's marrying. So you gotta, you gotta stay true to form, man. She she knows what she's getting into. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Um, as always, you can follow me on Twitter at mgentil88. You can follow Drew on Twitter at look what Drew did. Follow the Rebuildable Podcast at Rebuild underscore A underscore Bowl. We drop our latest episodes there. Any kind of thoughts that might uh, trickle in from either one of us get retweeted there or any other content creators. You can also follow the podcast by subscribing to us on the different places you get your podcasts. You know, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, yeah, any one of those. You can find Rebuildable Podcasts there. Again, it's going to be an interesting game here Thursday in France against the Pistons and some interesting games when the Bulls return back to the States. Alongside Drew Stevens, I'm Matt Gentile. We'll catch you next week, Bulls Nation. Thank you for listening to the Rebuildable Podcast. Be sure to check us out and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever else you stream your podcasts.